Father, let us hear. And Father, in a, in a, in a season, in, in an age, in, in a time in church history where people are heaping to themselves teachers that tickle their ears. Father, I ask that you would help your people who are called by your name to stand, to stand on your truth, to stand on your ways, on your wisdom, your power, and your majesty. Father, please help us to hear this text. Father, please help us to understand the power of the resurrection and that, Father, it is that power in which you are building your church. The abode of the dead cannot even slow it down. And it is the power to transform lives in your glory and praise. Amen. Again, we're looking at a church, the church of Corinth, who has been invaded by the philosophies of their society. Their society had crept in, and, 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 and you do this, we all do this. We bring in our understandings, uh, we bring in our philosophies of life, uh, our grandparents' teachings, our dads' or parents' teachings, and we bring them all in, and when we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we have all of this stuff that is there. Now listen, I'm not saying what your grandparents or your parents taught you is wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a time... That when you will have information, whether it is from co-workers or just your upbringing or maybe even your political views, are going to come in direct conflict with the truth of God. And you've got to, at that point, separate from that belief and go to the truth of God. I told you when I was in Russia, I taught 1 Corinthians, and I shared with them there's stuff in this book, the 66 books of scriptures, that I don't like. But that don't make it less true. Okay? The issue isn't whether I like it or not. The issue is truth. Okay? And, and I listen to the stuff that is going on in our society today and the way Christianity is bannered around even by politicians. And I just sit there and I just, it drives me nuts. You know, and everybody said, well, did you hear such and such as pastor and what he said? I, and, well, yeah, and it's, well, that was awful. I said, well, he's not there preaching the Bible. What do you want him to say? I, you know, I go to hear a preacher preach truth, period. And, and I, I don't understand this. It, Christianity is not a political action group. <clears throat> and I see this today. The church in America is no different than Corinth. We are allowing the stuff of the world to be our driving force. We can't do that. And then the Apostle Paul comes to this text here in chapter 15, the earliest text that we have on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and when you read this, you sit there and you say, you know what? Why did he write this? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons. It's not a doctrinal issue in the church. It is a battling issue in the church. Listen, if God is raising the dead, what's your problem? 
I don't care what's going on in your society. He's only raising the dead. That's all. How is your society doing with that one? I don't care whether it's Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green, or whatever. They're not raising the dead. And Christ is saying, listen, get rid of that stuff. I'm raising the dead. And then he lays out here in these first 11 verses the proof of the resurrection. And I mean, let's be realistic. If you've got 500 witnesses in a court of law that says, I've seen the resurrected Christ, I'm thinking that that's going to sway a judge or a jury of your peers. Right? I mean, he just raised the dead. Yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him. I've seen him too. I did too. 500 of us marched. Yeah, I've seen him. Uh-huh. That's him. Yeah, that's it. You know, somewhere in there you're going to say, I'm thinking they raised him from the dead. Okay, but he gives it a list here. He says, you see the testimony of the church. I mean, the fact that the church exists. I mean, the fact that the Corinthians were a church is proof of the resurrection. He says, some of you were homosexual. Some of you were thieves, adulterers, fornicators. But now you're a church. How do you do that? How do you change people to do that? Power of the resurrection. But he says, you know what? The scripture told us that this was coming. I started going through the scriptures and getting all the references of Christ. Now you have to understand Old Testament references to Christ's resurrection. And I was, I thought, boy, these people are really going to be mad if I spend the next three weeks reading these scriptures. Because that's about how long it's going to take me to get through it. Why? The Old Testament said that Messiah would be raised from the dead. Okay. It's not an allegory. It's not an allegory. It's real. It's real. Again, he brings up the eyewitnesses, Cephas. Okay, Aramic for rock. That would make him Peter. Peter needed to see the resurrected Christ. Why? Peter had a bad kind of conclusion with his relationship with Jesus Christ. Then he showed up to... The twelve in the upper room. They were all standing there shaking in their boots, scared to death that the Romans any minute would be on the door and you're out of here too. And then we all get to see Jesus faster than what I thought. And then all of a sudden there he was in the middle of them. And they all said, "Uh uh-oh. In three-part harmony. Then he appeared to 500 brethren at once. Most of them are still alive at the writing of 1 Corinthians. All right. That's not bad. Then he appears to James, Jesus' half-brother, the first pastor, the first leader of the first church in Jerusalem. He appears to him. Why? He denied him. And then he says, not only that, but he appeared to me the least. The least. The untimely born. The stillborn. The dead born. And you know what? I think about this text because... Everybody at some point has thought, is thinking, or will think about death. I mean, somebody in your sphere is going to die. Or they're going to be in a place that they think they're going to die. Sometimes that's worse. I think I'm going to die. Know what? You are going to die. It's given unto man to die once. And I know what happens. I was speaking with some Russian students. I shared this with you. And it drives me crazy. That I was that confident. How can you be that confident? Well, I believe in the resurrection. Why? Well, there's too many witnesses. I mean, anyway. 
That's Paul's message. Now, I want you to think about something here. The message that we preach, verse 11. Now then, the testimony of the message. What is the message and how do we get the message? The message is a resurrected Christ. That the offering for sin was accepted by God. It was pleasing to God. It fulfilled the law of God. And we know that because... He was raised from the dead. All right. Listen, I have heard all of this stuff. I've heard about Jesus's box of bones. Well, he found a box of bones in Jerusalem and then there's Jesus and his everybody and all of his family. Uh, the, the Da Vinci Code, you know, that Jesus has offspring running around. He had a daughter and, and you just sit there and you go, good Lord, people, are we that stupid? And then it dawned on me. Yep, we are. I'll read everything about the Bible, but I ain't reading the Bible. Why? Can you read it? Well, evidently not. (laughs) Evidently not. Paul here says, do you understand that we are all preaching the same message? Do you understand that we're all believing the same gospel? It is the gospel of the resurrection. We preach the resurrection. And you believed the resurrection. No matter who it is, it is the same proclamation. A resurrected Christ. Whether I'm in Ephesus, whether I'm in Colossae, whether I'm in Thessalonica, whether I'm in Galatia area, whether I'm in Rome, we all believe the very same thing. We're all preaching the very same thing. I I was talking to the elders the other night and, and some other people. I am the only guy in the world who has a job that has not changed in 2000, actually about 6,000 years. What I do has not changed. Now, listen, you don't want somebody who practiced medicine 6,000 years ago to practice medicine on you today. Okay, you do not want a lawyer representing you who practices law 6,000 years ago today. But you know what? My job has not changed. Hasn't changed at all. And that's what Paul is saying. It is still the same. One of the greatest testimonies of the resurrection is that the unity of the early church was all the testimony of the resurrection. Now, listen, some churches today do not believe in the resurrection, and I call it the age of skeptics, and it's a new phenomenon. Please understand that. Please understand that. What you see today in the fragmentation of the body of Christ is not biblical to start with. And um, and it's relatively new within about the last 150 to 200 years. But it was never like that. But I want to land on a word because I show you there in verse 1, he says we preached. In verse 2, he says we preached. And then he brings it up again there in verse 11. So we preach. I'm seeing a pattern. What do you think? What do you think? And I want to take you back a ways because I believe that today. No, I know that today. This is not understood. You go to a church today. How many churches can you go into and you will hear a message 
preached. We have a thing that we call, people will try to say it, and I hear it today, and it, there's a part of me, it's sort of like fingernails on a blackboard. Okay, it's like, it's in the same line that says, well, I'm a Messianic Jew. Okay, you're a what? Does that make me like a Messianic Gentile? I, okay, see, the Apostle Paul was a hardline Jew, wasn't he? I mean, that boy there, he's Okay. But Paul said you're either a Christian, a Gentile, or a Jew. There was no such thing as a Messianic Jew. You're either a believer, or I look at it, you're either a saint or an ain't. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a little different than Paul. I'm, anyway, I'm not Jewish. I like pork. Uh, well, I do. I praise God that I'm a Gentile. I'm in the bacon. But anyway, what? Everybody says, well, that's bad for you. Uh-uh. Bible says give thanks and eat. Okay? We got, I know how to do this. I ain't, I just want you guys to be aware of this. But I listen to people today on that same line and I hear guys who say, well, I'm an expositor. And you go, what? I'm an expositor. I believe in expository preaching. Is there any other kind? Listen, it ain't preaching if it ain't expository. It's just somebody up there speechifying. Hey, if my president can come up with new words, I can. <laughs> I mean, I heard a guy get up and say, well, I'm dialoguing for Jesus. And I'm sitting there going, you're what? I'm dialoguing for Jesus. Does he know that? And is he going to be happy when he comes down and explains to you he doesn't want dialogue? Expository preaching is, what have we done? But we do it. We're fundamentalist, evangelical, conservative, Baptist. Anyway, go to Nehemiah. Chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. This is uh, like a really long time ago. Nehemiah chapter 8. The Babylonian captivity has ceased. They are in the process of building a wall around Jerusalem for its defense again. Um, And um, they have a man in their midst who is phenomenal. Nehemiah chapter 8, first eight verses, but I want to set up, well, no, I'll pick it up in a minute. Okay, now I want you to think about this for a second. The, the nation of Israel has been released from 70 years of slavery. It was divine intervention. He just released them. Just released them. So here they go. They go wandering out. And all the people gathered as one man. Interesting concept, don't you think? What did Paul say to the letter in Corinthians? I want you to be as one, whether it is in judgment or whether it is in teaching or whether it is in your talking, you are to be one. All the people gathered as one man in the square, which is in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Okay, then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. 
on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square in front of the water gate from, did you get this? One of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. He read from when? Early morning till midday in the presence of the men and those who could understand and women and those who could understand and all the people were what? It says that all the people were what? I mean, you guys can say, all right, you start without us. Read. You want to start reading in the morning and go till noon? Go. But it has a responsibility to the hearer too, doesn't it? They were attentive. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, hmm, which they made for this purpose. Hmm. I wonder where they got that idea from. Hmm. Beside him stood Maktana, Shema, Anna, Hiriah, Hilkai, Maxas on his right hand, Pirai, Mishael, Melachin, Hashbam, and a whole bunch of nasty people, Hashabadim, Zechariah, and Mishlam on his left hand. And in verse 5 says, he opened, Ezra opened the book inside of all the people, that would be this, inside of all the people, he was standing above all the people, hmm. And then he opened it before all the people, and all the people did what? Oh, we didn't come up with that idea on our own, did we? Pooh. Ezra's, now watch what just happens. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. While lifting up their hands, they bowed down low, and they worshiped God with their faces on the ground. Okay, question number one. Why? Why? Let me ask you a simple question right here. Who is the worship leader? What was it that drew the people to worship? Excuse me? It doesn't say it was a hymn. It doesn't say it was a praise chorus. It doesn't say it was traditional, blended, or contemporary. He got up, he started reading the Word of God at early morning to midday, and what did the people do? They worshiped. They laid low and they bowed down and they said, the Word of God has been proclaimed. And they get up and they say, Amen, Amen. Truly, truly. Now, I want you to come back to this because I want to show you one other thing that just drives me crazy. And it comes from the book of Ezra. Why is Ezra here? And I'll back up to the otherwise here in a second. But why is Ezra here? And if you go to Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Okay? It's a fascinating text. Especially in light of the silliness that I hear today. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinance to Israel. Did you get that? 
He set his heart, one, to study the law. Two, practice it. Three, to teach. Now you notice which one comes last? I wonder why that one's last. It's not last enough is the problem. Why? You need to know what it says and it needs to be you. I see people who can walk out and repeat what professors and books have just regurgitated and regurgitated. That would be vomiting for those others. But over and over and over again, and I can repeat it. I can repeat it. I can repeat it. I have study notes, footnotes in the bottom of my Bible. And I just repeat what the footnotes say. But the problem is, it ain't them. Let me tell you something. I love you guys, but I got to warn you something right now. Okay? And I'm not saying this to hurt your feelings. My faith will not save you. My faith will not sanctify you. My faith will not help you in any manner whatsoever. Your faith will save you, sanctify you, and help you. And all I'm going to do is walk beside you. I have people who come to me and they say, well, we want to follow you. I don't want people behind me. It makes me nervous. I want people beside me. Let's go together. Well, you're the leader. No, Christ is the leader. I'm just going to keep pointing you to Christ. Okay. I get people that say, well, I need help. And I say, well, okay. There's a big old long line for help. I mean, you can get on the computer screen and it says help. And it doesn't really help you in any way. But anyway, it's fun to click on every once in a while and see if it really works. But um, I share this with you because the only help there is is the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. Well, but you need to counsel me. Then come to church. Why? Because Ezra stood before the group as one and did what? Preached. He preached the law of God. And the people bowed down and worshipped. Amen, amen. And the reason that he could do it is that he had studied the book. It became him. And now you can teach. I see people who want to teach that I wouldn't want you to teach me how to build a doghouse. If it ain't true of you, shh, be quiet. You know why people in America are not coming to salvation in droves that we've seen them in, in the past? We don't offer them nothing. We don't offer them a thing. And yet we've got it. It's like we've got the cure to every disease on the planet, but we don't believe it. So I'll just slide it under here. And to be honest with you, the people have gotten so apathetic, they don't even want preaching. That's awful. Well, think about it. Mom, dad's preaching at me. Preaching has now become derogatory. And, and I don't understand it. I mean, I watch the pulpits in my country today and think, how did we screw this up? This isn't rocket science. It, 
it's really simple. Read the book. Teach the book. Then when you get done, read the book. Teach the book. Now listen, I'm not saying it ain't hard work. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, this ain't rocket science. Or, you know, you don't want me flying your rocket. But anyway, he says, read the book, teach the book. And that's what it says. I want to go back to, to Nehemiah. Okay. Because I want you to see this. <clears throat> Drop down there to verse 8. Okay. Chapter 8, verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God, translating. Okay, the word translating literally means explaining. You know what the root Greek word for that is? Don't tell nobody. Exposition. When you hear the word expository preaching... It's explanatory proclamation. That ain't rocket science. You know, I get people who say, well, you know, I start, I'm an expositor. I start in chapter one, verse one, and I go through the book. That ain't got nothing to do with expository preaching. Nothing. Okay? That's textual. It's not expository. Anybody can read it. I can get Lucifer to stand up and read it. All right, but he won't explain it. Why? Because that's where he gets into trouble. That's <laughs> where the conflict shows up. All right, but I, I wish that people could understand. Do we see that? Read the text, explain the text. Read the text, explain the text. You know, and we have schools for preaching. Are we that stupid? Oh, yeah, never mind. Listen, how do you preach? Read the text, explain the text. Or if you really want to, you can read the text or explain the text. And you know what? We've been doing this since how long ago? And yet here we are so sophisticated and we've got all the bells and whistles and PowerPoint this and we got to have contemporary that and a worship band for this and we got to do this and we want to do that. And I ask a simple question, why? Well, we want to see people saved. Well, is it working? No. You know why it ain't working? Because we're not reading the text and explaining the text. We're just having a blast as we lead people to hell. Okay? Now, listen, there is a problem. I mean, I showed it to you. You need to set your heart to study the text and to apply the text to teach the text. And I see a lot of people who are out there who are extraordinarily good speakers that do not study and definitely do not apply. All right? And those usually get exposed. And it's usually on national news. Why? A whole group of people had come together because they understood that they needed the law of God and they wanted to hear the law of God and they knew that they needed to explain and it gives a sense so that they understood what was being read to them. And that had to have been a massive sermon if you think about what he could have read from early in the morning till noon. Okay, now what would you call this? A blended service? Or a traditional service? Or a contemporary service? I would call it the only service. 
that God receives. So when he says, the message I preached to you, do you know he only did it the same way Ezra did it? That's it. But do you know what's really fascinating about that? That's how Jesus did it. That's kind of strange. You'd have thought he'd have had a better way. I mean, you're God. How would you get people saved? Reading the text and explaining the text. In the beginning was the... Hmm. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Uh, I hear people tell me uh, in, in the Hebrews text that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Knows the thoughts and tits of the hearts and cuts to the marrow of the bone. That's the Bible. No, it ain't. It's Jesus. Well, the whole book of Hebrews is dealing with Jesus. And I'll put this little blurb in here about the Bible. And then we'll go on about Jesus. No! The whole book of Hebrews is dealing with Jesus. The problem is you can't separate this book from that man. But you know what's really crazy? You can't separate the church from that man. I love Jesus. I just hate the church. Oh, I used to do that when I was in high school. You see the pretty girl. I love your mind. I just don't like your body. It always worked well, didn't it? No. And the guy was always lying anyway. But you love Jesus. How can you not love the church? You love Jesus. How can you not love the word? And then it comes back to what was his message? Literal resurrection. The message of first importance was what? Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I mean, and all the implications. I mean, I can go through all the implications and I will here in a minute. But I want you to think about this for a second. <clears throat> I see donkeys standing at the pulpit that are not as bright as Balaam's. Okay? Because they don't study. And they definitely don't apply it. How do you apply something if you don't study it? You have to study it. And then you can't study it unless you do what? Set your heart to it. Let's be realistic. How many of us in here, when we're getting ready to start a, a Bible study, I'm going I'm to do a Sunday school class, or I'm going to do this. All of a sudden, we come Bible warriors. And as soon as I get done with my Bible study, or as soon as I get done with my little lesson, I become a Bible anemic. How's come? I can tell you why. I've just not set my heart to it. Listen, I'll be honest with you. And, and I'm, and I, and I beg you guys' forgiveness and you, you guys may think that I'm spiritual, whatever. Donkey. I set my heart to the scripture 20 years ago and my motive was completely wrong. I set to find a contradiction. I mean, that's, I got into the book because I was like, you know what? This Christianity stuff, it's wearing me out and I'm tired of these people. I'm going to find a contradiction in this bugger. And then I'm going to beat them ragged every time I run into them. Okay? And that's what I tell people. I'm still looking. I'll keep looking. But my motive has changed. Okay? Because now I look at it, I have 66 love letters from my creator. And they are to me. That's to me. I like that. 
Every once in a while he gets wordy with these names, though. <laughs> Where'd you come up with that name? Hezmaka. A what? Is she mad at him? That's the children. You, you want to want to drive you crazy. Go look. That's chasing a rabbit. Go check out the children of Hosea. <laughs> and it means something. Oh, bummer. You named me what? Now, I give you that because I need you to understand something. One way that we get this message. Preaching. And then you look at the preacher and you go backwards. He's teaching. Does it apply to him? Has he studied? Okay, and let me tell you something. You can spot that just like that. Most of the preaching I hear today, I can get deeper with an an average study Bible. And if the preacher has not given me more than that, then I know for a fact he did not do step one. And I don't want to hear this hot air is what I was referring to. That the people can't understand it if you go too deep. It is not my responsibility to make you understand it. It is my responsibility to dig deep and set the table and let the Holy Spirit take your ears and make you hear what you need. I hear people saying, well, you've got to know what the people need. They need to get saved. And once they get saved, they'll be in love with Jesus and then you win. And I remember one time I preached a when we were at our old building, and then there was a young couple who had come to visit us, and they were sitting all the way in the back. That's where visitors sit, back row, visitor row. <laughs> That's funny. They put the visitor's parking up front. Anyway, um, but the, the couple sit there, and the guy was sitting there going like this the whole time. And the more I preached, the madder that woman got. I mean, you could see blood vessels sticking out on her head and everything, man, in her neck. And she'd get this red thing going on that was coming through her makeup. And uh, I thought, you know what, I better cut this short. She could explode right back there. And and then somebody would blame me for it. And so I walked out. I walked to the back and was doing the meet and greet thing. And (laughs) she came up to me like this, buddy. And I thought, I hope she ain't got a gun. (laughs) Because... I hate for this woman to shoot me. Uh, Jesus, you ain't gonna believe it. Some woman, anyway. Uh, but uh, she came up to me and she looked me right in the eye and she says, It's that, that patriarchal thing that has oppressed women. And I don't remember what text I was preaching. I was like, Wait a minute, brother. And, she, and I said, Well, did I say something to offend you? And she says, Well, the whole message was offensive. And I said, Well, show me where it's wrong. I will. I said, would you like a copy of the scripture so you can go back and look at it? I'll get you a Bible. I have a Bible. I says, all right. So she walks up. Now, she never did come back because I'm thinking that she probably couldn't find where I was wrong. But anyway, you preach the Bible, then listen, they'll get mad at you. I guarantee you they'll get mad at you. But here's the key. You're just the messenger. They're mad with the author. Okay, that's where you win, people. Why? Because God starts working on them. That's why he says, we preached, we preached, we preached, and you 
believed. Listen, it isn't because the preacher made you believe. It is because they preached truth and the Spirit of God moved to your faith to cause you to believe. I see people who are packed in churches these days and guess what? They believe everything they're hearing. The problem is they're not hearing anything. There's nothing there. If that's... You think I'm kidding you? Why is there such a great movement of quote-unquote counseling? Why is there? Because the people need something. You know why? Because the pulpit ain't giving it. And we have the power of the resurrection that we preach. We preach. And it is the power of God to raise the dead bodily and literally out of the ground. And what is it you think that you can add to that? That's what I wish people would understand. This isn't a game. There is so much to this that we need to grasp. And yet, we flitter around. Grabbing at this and grabbing at that and grabbing... This will make me better. I mean, we do it with drugs and alcohol and relationships and education and jobs. And I need a bigger house, a smaller house, a motor house. I need to do this. I need to hunt. I need to fish. You know, well, I have a hunting ministry. You have a what? A hunting ministry? Well, yeah, I have a fishing ministry. I reach people when we go fishing. What? Go fishing, but don't call it a ministry. I ain't against fishing. The Bible ain't against fishing. Well, we are the... I can't say their name because they may get this. Um, we have motorcycles and we go and we're a church on motorcycles. Well, I've rode motorcycles and you ain't listening to nobody preaching. Okay, you better not be. Because you... Somebody squash you like a bug. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I see. Listen, if you want a fellowship and go camping and fishing or skiing, absolutely. I know a guy has a church that meets at the intersection of the several ski runs in Breckenridge. And they meet there on Sunday morning about 10 o'clock whenever he gets people show up and he gives a message. Well, that's closer than riding around on a bunch of Harleys saying, are you listening to me? <laughs> Proof of the resurrection. Proof of the resurrection. The testimony of the church. The fact that there is a church is proof of the resurrection. The scriptures say there is a resurrection. The eyewitnesses say there was a resurrection. The apostle Paul says there is a resurrection. And the fact that there is a preaching event taking place is proof of the resurrection. Light of all the proof, how can some say there's no resurrection from the dead? And yet it's in the church. It's in the church. But it's an allegory. It was a spiritual thing. Okay? Let me get, give you huge implications of the resurrection and I'll close. And I'll start there like just drop in the middle of verse 8. 1 Corinthians 15. When you hear the gospel of the resurrection, the first thing that should happen is a recognition 
of sin, a recognition of sin. Okay, why? The Apostle Paul, um, the term there, untimely born, is a dead fetus. But yet he was seen by me, a dead fetus. That's the recognition of sin. See, sin shows me my condition. Preaching of the gospel convicts me of my condition. Second thing, verse 10, there needs to be a revolution of character. A revolution of character. I am what I am. Okay? But, even I am what I am, His grace was not in vain. Okay? His grace was not empty. His grace was not useless. It's what I call the miraculous transformation. Miraculous transformation. And then the third thing, on hearing the preaching of the resurrection is a redirection of energy. A redirection of energy. He says, I labored even more than all of them. When you hear the gospel of the resurrection, you need to respond to these. It will be through preaching. It will be through preaching. And you respond. And I'll close with this thought for you. Question for you. Is your life given so that God's grace is not in vain. So that grace fulfills its plans. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for preachers. Father, men, so many great, awesome people before us who never waver. They preached in season and out of season. Father, I thank you for Ezra and Nehemiah. Father, I thank you for Paul. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For he preached. For he preached. Father, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that you took on the veil of humanity and paid a penalty That had to be paid. And I thank you, Lord, that you saved us. That you helped us. That you grew us. You're gracious to us. You're merciful to us. And Father, most of all, you are so patient with us. Father, help us rest in the fact that you have overcome the tomb. Overcome the grave. We do not have to worry. Fear has no sting. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. Yet, Father, you draw us together today. We hear the words of our brother Paul. And, Father, I lift this body to you, this group of people, called by your name, that, Father, that they would labor by your grace. And we would labor even more. Father, we believe. Help us stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus to your glory and praise. Amen.